Okay, good morning, everyone. This is Rabbi Van Sion Klatsko, Radio Hidabrut, and it is wonderful to be speaking with you this rainy, dreary morning in New York, but we don't let the weather affect us because we affect our own surroundings. We're in charge of our own happiness. And uh, today we're still in the afterglow of the light of the beautiful menorah, we, we thank Hashem that we have such a beautiful yontif, and I particularly thank Hashem that this yontif allows me the opportunity to see my, my yeshiva bachram. And, uh, you know, they're, they're away. It's a long winter, and they're able to come home, and I can see them and have nachas and see them learning and steiging. And all in all, it's a gewaltige break. And now we go straight to Purim. Or if you're looking big picture, we're going straight to Pesach. So I know that those of you in my listening audience may have just shuddered when I said Pesach because that reminds you that there's some Pesach cleaning to do. But we have plenty of time for that. We have, of course, Asar Batavis coming up. And, uh, and uh, we, we, have, uh, we have a whole winter to, to stag away. To do great things, um, there's a certain there's a certain pleasure in having one yontif after the next. And when you get into the Chaydish Elul mood, so you've got Elul and Rosh Hashanah, and that runs into Aseres made Teshuva, then Yom Kippur and Sukkot. So it's very frantic and it's very organized, and uh, the inspiration happens almost on its own, at least to a little degree. I mean, we have to we have to add more. But when it comes to a long winter, and we have Teves, and Shvat, and yes, you have Tuba Shvat, but you have a whole Shvat, and you've got Adar. So now we have this stretch of months, stretch of about 10 weeks or so, where as far as Yom Tovim go, it's pretty barren. And this gives us an opportunity to create our own Yantif. We on our own can can find meaning on our own. We can do great things and we can inspire ourselves. And and um, I actually enjoy I enjoy this time. It's a wonderful opportunity. So we had quite a week last week. Uh, I like to mention what happened in our previous Shabbos because we say Yom Yom Rishon LeShabbos, Hey Yom Yom Sheni LeShabbos. We live from Shabbos to Shabbos. Last Shabbos, we were in Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore. Uh, how many of my listening audience uh, members are from Baltimore or have relatives in Baltimore or have had good experiences in Baltimore? Baltimore is one of those cities that are a little bit chutzlah machana if you're a New Yorker and you, you're used to you know that little, you know, Borough Park, Flatbush, Williamsburg. You've got, uh, you know, outlying is already like Staten Island and Far Rockaway. That's considered outlying. But Baltimore, that's hours away, so that's real Kutzlamachana. And yet we should appreciate that, Baruch Hashem, we have amazing kehilas that dot the globe and certainly dot the map of the United States of America. And we have communities, and each one has a very distinct flavor. And uh, there's Baltimore, and 
you you can go to Chicago, and they have their own hechsher, and they've got their own rabbanim, and their own koilim, and their own kihilas, and their own chadarim. And you say, wow, Baltimore and Chicago. But then there's Cleveland. And Cleveland is a growing community. More and more people are thinking of Cleveland as an option. And I'm originally from Cleveland, so I'm actually pleased about that because Cleveland has always been a city that was full of Talmidei Chachamim and was underappreciated. And you've got Detroit. And Detroit and Oak Park, Michigan, and there are Kolem, and the great Rav Boxed was there. And today there's the great Rav Yudi Boxed who's there. And you have Boston. And while Boston is not the same size as some of those other communities, but there's plenty of Eden in Boston. And, uh, you know, we all have heard of the Boston Rebbe, but there is Torah. And there's a beautiful Chadarm over there. And we jumped to, my, to, to Florida. And we jumped to Miami and Miami Beach and many, many, many Yidin. Beautiful from Kehillahs over there. Beautiful. And we'd run all the way to California and Los Angeles. Wow. If you've never been there, you can't imagine how much Yiddishkeit is there. And those are some of the larger cities. And there are, there are many more that we didn't even mention. And yet there are smaller ones that each one is trying to make an impact. And each one also has its own charm and its own flavor. From Milwaukee to Denver to Dallas and Houston, you've got uh, St. Louis, one of those kehillahs. You have Kansas City. Did you know Kansas City has its own title? I mean, you, could, you, could, you could simply go from one, one city to the next, and Torah is making a comeback. And Yidin, we are making a comeback. So being in Baltimore for Shabbos felt really, really good. Uh, I have a sister over there, and she is a force in Kiruv. As a matter of fact, if you want to treat yourself and you have access to a computer that's connected to the Internet, Go to RivkaMalka.com. That's my sister's site. And you could hear the wisdom of a person who has had some amazing experiences in her life. Rivka Malka, R-I-V-K-A, Malka, M-A-L-K-A.com, Kamalka.com. And, and uh, she has lots of wisdom to share. So she has an organization in Baltimore called WOW. That's right, WOW, like WOW, W-O-W. And WOW reaches out to people in the community that are not that religious, uh, college students, post-college students. And she had a Shabbaton, and she, she brought me in to speak for the Shabbaton. And that was, of course, wonderful. Um, one of the boys immediately I connected with very well. We signed him up to go to Yeshiva, and he's going to be leaving in two weeks. There's Hashem, and there's another, another young man that hopefully uh, is going to consider yeshiva. He's going to let me know this evening. And slowly but surely, we, we chip away. We chip away at the apathy, the, the, the numbness, and the, the ignorance that's out there. And we teach people about Torah and mitzvahs. And, you know, it could be a program like this 
where so many people are, you know, they, they, they get nervous about how you're not doing in the latest scandal or the latest Parnassa crisis or the latest Shaduchim crisis. And I'm here to tell you, you know, there's another voice out there. It's an optimistic, happy one that tells you that Torah is really growing and people are very excited and Shiurim are proliferating. Last night I spoke at an organization called Chazak in Queens in Forest Hills full of people coming to hear Torah in the middle of the night, in the middle of the rain. And that's our community. For all of its difficulties and all of its challenges, you are distinct. You are special. You understand what Hanukkah is. You understand what it means to be Mechanic children. We're all Mechaim Mahajrin Mina Mahajrin. We all understand that, that it's not just near Yishu Vesai, but we want everyone to light, and we want our Kindalak to light. And I have cute little videos of my two-year-old mumbling the bracha that he learned in Cheder. And it was, it was very decent when we got to Baltimore. We got there, it was a little before Shabbos, and the candle lighting was somewhat rushed up, and it was time to go to shul. And, and my, my two-year-old, we didn't have time to, to do what we usually do, which is a slow lighting. So here's my two-year-old, and he says, my turn, my turn. And, and he wouldn't let us leave until he had his turn to light. And we click, quickly, he made the brachas, and he lit, and he had this cute look on his face, like, Okay, I did my mitzvah. And, and, and how much more so our four-year-old and our seven-year-old, each one with that beautiful heligenigen. Baruch atah Hashem, elekeinu melech o'ilom. It's so heartic, it's so special, it's so holy, because it's Hanukkah, it's Hanukkah. And even all over the world are celebrating Hanukkah and the, 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 the tune that's been echoing throughout Yisrael, wherever we go, in Argentina, in Switzerland, they sing that niggin, in in Brazil, they sing that niggin. In South Africa, they sing that niggin. In the White House, they sing that niggin. Wherever you go, the Maccabees, they sing that niggin. Everyone sings that niggin. And there's a certain achtas in knowing that we have a beautiful niggin and we have a beautiful, beautiful mitzvah. And uh, I'm sad. I'm sad Hanukkah's over. It's a sad thing to put our menorah away and clean out those little glass oil holders and you know and, and, and we wait until next year but we're gonna gear ourselves up for Purim that is the next major Simchadika holiday. So that was our Shabbos. I had a um had a really interesting experience Arab Shabbos. I have um I have a phone and it's a it's called a Samsung Galaxy S3. I don't know how many of you have these smartphones. I call smartphones, whether it's an iPhone or an Android. And this Galaxy S3, it's a, it's a good phone. I, you know, for my particular job, it's indispensable. It's like walking around with all your contact data and walking around with the GPS. 
And right as I pulled into Baltimore, I got a notification that Jelly Bean had arrived. Jelly Bean. Now, I realize that my listening audience probably does not know what Jelly Bean is. What is Jelly Bean? The answer is that Jelly Bean is an update from from the phone, from Google, and it makes you better. And from time to time, an update comes and comes over the air, over the airwaves, and it makes your phone a better phone. Now, Jelly Bean is the name of the update. They did a very interesting thing. They, the, um, the Google company, when they make updates and they, they want you to buy more phones with the latest features and the latest updates, they call it after sweet things. So before Jelly Bean, there was Ice Cream Sunday, And before Ice Cream Sunday, there was Frozen Yogurt. And then there was Honeycomb and Gingerbread and all these very cute, fun names that remind us of instant gratification and Taiva. But, you know, I'm excited. I got my Jelly Bean update. That's the name of the update. And it's updating. My phone's going to work faster and it'll work better and I'll be more productive. And my phone takes whatever it is, 10 minutes to update. And after it updates, my phone right away opens up to the news. And I'm all excited here. My phone is going to work quicker. I'm going to be more productive. And it opens up to the news. Here is a man who shoots 26 people dead. 26 people in cold blood, including 20 children. And all of a sudden, the silliness of the jelly bean update hit home. Jelly bean? Jelly bean? That's, that's the grand excitement? That's what it's all about? Jelly bean? And because, because my phone can go a little faster? Where are the priorities? Where, where's the focus? And then, you, and then life hits you. Then all of a sudden, life reminds you that it's not about a, a silly phone with a silly update. It's not about, you know, this imagery of a sweet green jelly bean. But it's about how precious life is and how uh, good there's a great struggle between good and evil. And that struggle sometimes manifests itself in very, very disturbing ways. As Eden, we have to be very aware that when there's disaster, when there's tragedy, even when it doesn't happen to Yidin, and by the way, there were Yidin that were killed in this tragedy. There were. But even if there weren't, to understand what the Gemara says, when something happens in the world, we have to have Rachmanus. We should not compartmentalize to the point that we say, okay, Yid, terrible. No Yid, what do I care? From Yid, even worse. Now it's true, of course, you know, we're the Amsagula, and it makes sense, and it's proper, and it's a great tragedy when a Yid 
and especially a Torah-observant Yid uh, experiences tragedy. Here's a person who's trying to live a life of nobility. But anyone who experiences tragedy, anyone who goes through such a sad, sad occurrence needs to evoke in us tremendous Rachmanus. And all these parents who sent their children to school, all these parents who expected to raise their children and marry off their children and have grandchildren. And I tell you that within the non-Jewish world, the, the average family has one and a half kids, between one and two kids. So for many of these families, this was it. This was their legacy. Right? That was it. It's a tragedy and it's a sadness. And it's horrific for someone to come and, and shoot people up. And we, 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 have to, we have to not, you know, we have to not, you know, put in our minds the idea that, oh, you know what, not a yid, not a from yid. What do I, you know, yeah, it's sad, but Lamaisa, at least it wasn't Eden. Right? We have to learn to have Rachmanas. Because if we don't learn to have Rachmanas, then we can't be the teachers of the world. Right? We become cold and callous and calculated. Anyways, this is a very, very interesting thing. But I will tell you that right now in the world, people are suddenly becoming very philosophical. Ooh, why does evil exist? What about free will? Where was God? Why didn't he stop the shooter? And you wonder, wow, good morning. Good morning, all those who just became uh, couch philosophers as you sit on your couch slurping on your diet sprite thinking about why God did this to children or why God allowed this to happen? Why didn't you think when missiles were raining on Jewish children in Eretz Israel, well, was that okay because they were Jewish? Was that okay because, because Hamas is a political party? All of a sudden, when a person comes and cold-bloodedly targets little children, we say, oh, why does evil exist? Well, guess what? Hamas has been targeting little children for years and years, and no couch philosophers have asked the question. So I do tell the world the tragedy, terrible. We have to think about it. We have to do teshuva. We have to have rachmanas. There were yidden who were there, and that certainly adds to the tragedy. But we tell the world, good morning, thank you for finally waking up that there exists real evil in the world. There exists those who would target children. And we have experienced that for many, many years. So I'm going to give you our numbers over here. We're going to speak about a very, very interesting topic today. And I hope you and your friends are relaxing, enjoying, working, whether you're cleaning the house, whether you're at work and stuffing envelopes, whatever you happen to be doing, even if you're driving in the car and you're looking for parking on Avenue M, I get it. I know it's tough. I'm glad to share a little bit of space, a little bit of time 
with you, you and I together. We're going to speak, we're going to discuss, and maybe probe some very, very interesting ideas regarding Eretz Yisrael. So I'm going to give you our numbers over here. You can call into the program at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, or you can text us your thoughts at 47 927 8398-347-927-8398. We also have a phone number that you could listen to the program whether you don't have a computer, you want to listen to an archived uh, version of the program in case you missed this program or you missed part of it because you have to leave the car and go into work. You could turn on your phone and catch an archived version of this or any other program, and all you need to do is dial 718-506-9099, and you can listen to archived versions of the show as well as the live show. We are sponsored by Shabbat.com. Shabbat.com is creeping up on 34,000 members who are being invited for Shabbos, who are inviting others for Shabbos. The Achtos, unimaginable. People are reaching out to their friends, to Baal Tshuva. One of the nicest things just, just now about being in Baltimore, Maryland, one of the nicest things were how many people came over to me and told me Shabbat.com story. I was just here, I was just there, I went to France, I went with my brother, I went with my wife, and I was able to find a place for Shabbos. And wherever I go, I hear this, it feels amazing, it's fantastic. I had one fellow who was learning about his Judaism, he says, I don't know what I would do without Shabbat.com. Every single week, I find a place in Baltimore for Shabbos. He says, I'd be embarrassed to call, but I just go on the site and I click, and that's it. In Chazak yesterday, a person came over to me. They were traveling to Montreal. They and their friend, all they needed to do was go to Shabbat.com. They found a place for a few days, on and on. So we're very, very excited about it. All you need to do is if you have access to a computer, even if you only have one-time access, sign up. It's always free. Shabbat is spelled S-H-A-B-B-A-T, Shabbat.com. It's been endorsed by the G'daylem, including Aaron Feldman from Neri in Baltimore, and Reuven Feinstein, along with many, many others, or Pesach Kron, or Fischl Schachter. Many of them have spoken and urged you to become a member and reach out when Seagate, when the Hurricane Sandy hit. Many people use the website to find places to stay, some of them for weeks, and the mitzvahs keep on growing. And the best news is that with Hashem's help, this coming month in January, we're looking at the week of January 13th, hopefully we're coming out with a brand new, totally, totally revised and updated version of the website that will be able to do ten times as much as the site can do now. 
It looks different. It feels different. It functions. It functions at a very high level, and you could you could find anyone anywhere using any criteria. So just now, somebody needed to they lost their job, and they were they were a lawyer, and they were looking for leads. I said, go on Shabbat.com. You'll find leads, and they went on the site. They found 400 doctors, and they sent them a message. They found 400 lawyers, and they sent them a message. Hello, I am a member of the site, and I'm looking for leads to help find a job. And Bez Hashem, people are going to respond and help this yid out, and uh, that's how we help each other. So we're sponsored by that great mitzvah of Shabbat.com. We're using technology for good. I'll even let you in on a little secret. The Ezra Hashem, we all know there was an internet asifa and that uh, spoke about the dangers of the internet, which I am in total uh, agreement with. Not that anyone needs me to be, but I am regardless. But I also understand the value. And we are revising our site completely. And so is Torah Anytime, one of my favorite websites on the internet. And what we're going to be doing is, we're going to, we, are going to have a Malava Malka, us, Shabbat.com and Torah Anytime. We're going to collaborate together to create. Maybe Hidal Brut wants to join. Maybe we'll do Torah Anytime, Hidal Brut, and Shabbat.com. We'll, we'll have to speak to the powers that be and see if they want to join. These are all different organizations that use the Internet for great things. And, um, you know, that's a message. We'll do the Internet Asifa Part 2, the positives of the Internet. Anyhow, a lot of excitement ahead, so that's who we're sponsored by. We're going to take a break now. You are listening to Rabbi Ben-Sion Klatsko on 97.5, the great radio Hidabrut. think I don't belong here With my blue jeans and my long hair But when I was just a little boy I would play here with my train When I was just a little boy This whole synagogue knew my name the soldiers they took me away they said we need the young and strong when the soldiers took me away my father was singing the song he sang Yeah. 
I know you think my life was not fair As you wipe away another tear But since I was just a little boy I searched this whole world for this place Since I was just a little boy I never forgot his holy face When the soldiers they took me away They said everything was wrong When the soldiers took me away I never stopped singing this song I sang So sing me this song just one more time Maybe I'll understand Sing me this song just one more time something unique. I really, really like them. Actually, one of them was working in UCLA doing Kiruv a little bit while I was the rabbi there. And I, I spent Shabbos with them recently. Just a wonderful, wonderful uh, pair of pair of guys. And um, and uh, they they made a little Shabbat.com video. So they're also fans. So we're very happy. 
So somebody sent, sent me this amazing text just now. I just have to read it. They write uh, the following. They write, Good morning, Rabbi Klatsko. Regarding the couch philosophers, I saw a post on Facebook saying, Dear God, why didn't you prevent evil from coming to the school? Signed, Concerned Student. And then the answer was back, Dear Concerned, dear concerned Student, I'm not allowed in the schools. Signed, God. Brilliant. Brilliant. Brilliant, brilliant on not just a witty level. It's not just witty, like, ah, gotcha. You don't, uh, you don't, let, you don't let prayers in the school. You don't let God in the school. So, therefore, you see what happens. No, not on a witty level. On a practical level, when we leave the idea that there is a boire oilam, there's a creator on the outside, so then morality, it just becomes very mushy. I, do I have to, don't I have to, you know, what am I, what am I? I'm just, I'm just an evolutionary accident, teaches the school. And therefore, if I kill, it's a big deal. Animals always kill animals, right? You know, a whale with one gulp can eat tens of thousands of little mollusks and, and shrimp and all sorts of things, so... Animals destroy other animals, so we're just animals. So when you leave God out of the schools, you know, even even the non-Jewish schools, the whole the whole school system and the whole chinuch it it it, uh, it suffers. So that's a that's a brilliant post. Thank you so much for sending that in. Um, I want to take a moment before we get into this Eretz Israel thing to discuss. This philosophical question—it's a—it's a question that uh, that the Rambam speaks about. The Rivid the Rived, uh, says that perhaps he shouldn't speak about it because he didn't give a uh, an in-depth answer, and the question's going to linger. It's a question that even Moshe Rabbeinu himself had. Tzadik v'Ralei, Rosh Why? Do bad things happen to good people? And I'll tell you something that, in my in my mind, this question never bothered me. And maybe it didn't bother me because I am aware, I'm really hyper aware of my faults and my shortcomings. And because I'm so aware of it, you know, if people say, you know, Rabbi Klatsko, you're a good guy, right? People sometimes come to me and they ask for brachot, ask for brachas, and I'm embarrassed. Like, do you know who you're asking? <laughs> go to somebody who's go to somebody who, who whose brachas are meaningful. Like, what do you? But oh, they just heard me speak and they want a bracha, and I'm thinking, wow, if this is who the world considers or some people, not really the world, but a few people considered to be a tzaddik, look how easily we're fooled. We're just easily fooled. And therefore, when we say, Hashem, why did you make tzaddik viraloi? The answer of who really knows the lev ha'adam really screams the loudest to me. Who knows what a person is, right? Adam roya le'inayim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells that to Shmuel. 
Shmuel Anavi was commanded to go to the house of Yishai and anoint the next king. And he went from one son to the next to the next, and he couldn't figure out who should be the king. And it turned out that the youngest son, David HaMelech, was supposed to be the king. And he looked at David HaMelech, and David HaMelech has wild red hair, and he's out there with his slingshot, and and Shmuel Anavi couldn't understand. There were there were other brothers who were tall and they were handsome and they were good looking and they were righteous and obviously this is going to be the king. This is going to be the grandfather of Melech Hamashiach. But this young man, this red-headed kid, are you kidding me? Says Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Shmuel Anavi, as great of a Navi as you are, you only see with your eyes. You cannot see the heart of a person, but I can. And I'm telling you, this person is the biggest topic of all. And so, when we speak about Tzadik Viraloi, the simplest answer is, who really knows? Now, that doesn't really answer the question when it comes to children being, uh, being killed. Right? Children being killed doesn't answer that question. But certainly, certainly, you know, we, when, we, when we hear somebody who is in general good and something terrible happens to them, believe me, whatever good we've done in our lives doesn't pay Hashem back for the very fact that our heart continues to beat and our lungs fill up with oxygen. And anything else that we do is just simply to say, thank you, Hashem, for, for, for keeping me alive. And if I do something incorrect, if I do something wrong, if I do something bad, I don't have credit, right? Oh, I bad, but I did a lot of good. If the good that you did is just basic thank you for living, how could you do the evil? So, of course, our Kaddish Baruch Hu is an Erech HaKadosh Baruch Hu is patient with all of us. And because of that, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, you know what, my dear Kindalach, I'll give you time to do teshuva. My dear Kindalach, I have faith in you that you're going to pull through. But if, if the time comes and HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to give us a reminder, has to give us a wake-up call, suddenly to wake up and say, Hashem, how could you? Come on, come on, come on. You know, <laughs> really, really? Do you really want do you really want a Karashbarhu to scrutinize your deeds in your entire life? Do you think you could stand up to that? Yeah, I can't. Kasvachalila. Kasvachalila. Wait till you know maybe Lachameya the Estrim or the very end I'll have my act together and the storybook will have a great ending. But right now I'm not ready. I'm not ready. And if something happens, there's no shortage of things to blame it on. But I turn to Hashem and I say, Hashem, I'm weak. Save Rachmanus on me and don't, uh, you know, continue to be in Erech with me and I will, I will make you proud. I will try to make you proud. But Tzadik Virali, it's not a mystery. Who, who considers themselves a Tzadik? Who, who could say that every bracha they said with kavana? Who could say they've never looked at anyone 
without a tinge of jealousy. Who could say they haven't been lazy? Who could say that they've been totally honest in everything that they've ever done? Who can? So if we can't, the question disappears. But it disappears also because HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Look, I put Bechira Chavshis in the world. And the, the reality of Bechira Chavshis, which means free will, is that I don't strike a person down the moment they do evil, the moment they mess up. I'm not going to do that. Because if I would do that, no one would ever do anything evil. Because no one wants to be smitten down. I don't usually stick my hand in the fire on purpose. Because I know if I do, it's going to get burnt. Why do we ever do anything incorrect? It's because I don't get punished right away. I don't have a heavenly bolt of lightning come and strike me down. And because I have the choice to do or not to do, my actions have significance. We believe in schar v'aynesh. We believe that HaKadosh Baruch who wants to give us schar, ha'adam nivra a man is created, a person is created in order to, uh, to, to enjoy Hashem and His Shechina, the shine, the beauty of His Shechina, something fantastic and noble. But if I had no choice, if I only acted good, because if I acted bad, lightning would strike me down, then even my good would be meaningless. If someone sticks a gun to my temple and he, and, and he says, listen, you give all the money in your pocket to sucker, or I'll shoot you. Which person would say, oh, you know what? I don't want to give my 40 bucks. Uh, shoot me. We all would give it. So, therefore, those 40 bucks that I gave, are those meaningful? Is that a righteous act? Is that an altruistic act? Of course it's not. I had no choice. And, therefore, free will is the linchpin of creation. It is the reason d'etre. It's the reason for our existence, our reason for being. The fact that I could choose not to, and I do, or the fact that I could choose to do, and I don't, that makes everything that I do meaningful. So this person who walks into a school and shoots up faculty and children alike, of course Hashem could have uh, could have struck him down. Of course. And then, slowly but surely, we would learn that if you ever mess up, Hashem takes care of you, chick-chock. And then we won't mess up. And then we won't have free will. And then the whole concept of reward and punishment and the world after and emulating God, emulating Hashem, making the world a better world by choice, Right? All of that would disappear. Tzadkarash Baruch allows us to choose. And we'll continue to choose. Now, one person said, God, where were you by the school? Well, do you know that it came out in the news today that this murderer who came in and shot all these children, this murderer actually had much greater plans to kill many, many more people. And the fact is, because of different uh, things that occurred, 
the police came quickly. The, this, the shooter felt like he's running out of time. And instead of continuing to shoot, because he had plenty of weapons left, instead of shooting, he shot himself. So maybe one could say that, you know, at a certain point, Hashem does intervene. At a certain point, Hashem says enough. You know, there was a film that came out. It was in German. And that film describes the last days of Hitler, Yamach Shemai. And it was a play. The film was a play. Of course, it wasn't known actually was there to film the last days. But it was highly, highly accurate. And it was, they used all sorts of, uh, of manuscripts and uh, first-hand accounts to describe what it was like in this underground bunker in the last days of Hitler's life. Do you know that Hitler lived his last days in torturous, torturous agony? Do you know that his doctor, who was supposed to heal him of certain stomach issues, was slowly poisoning him to death to the point that near the end of his he, he had become delusional. And he threw his own soldiers into unwinnable battles. So here you have a doctor who is prescribing lithium, and the lithium is having an effect on his brain, and that effect is then affecting the entire German army, and ultimately he dies a horrible, horrible death moments after he gets married to Eva Braun, and his, their bodies are burnt together. Now, this was a person who had claimed that he was going to build the next Reich, the third Reich, that would last for a thousand years. And a few years after he goes to war, he's nothing but ashes. And his last days are agony and defeat and betrayal by all sorts of people who he thought were loyal to him. Now, of course, we're not pacified. We don't feel, oh, he was coming to him. Because we would like him to die again and again. Six million times at least. Many, many more times. Who can, who can say the value of the Yiddish Neshama? And the truth is, I don't even like saying six million. Because six million is a, is a rounded off number. How do you round off a number? Because if, if six million and one people were nifter, that's a completely different tragedy. That's a much greater tragedy. And if six million and two people were nifter, that was an even greater tragedy. So this whole idea of rounding it off to the nearest, nearest million, it just it doesn't sit well with me. And we do know, by the way, that a lot more than six million people were nifter. So we're, we we cling to this the 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 uh, million kedushim, you know the six million, but you know what? Each and every one of them had a holiness, and and we miss them, you know. But 
at least we saw the downfall of Hitler. And not only did we see that, but the downfall of Germany. Germany, who marched in goose step together with, with Hitler. Do you know that Germany, near the end of the war, was decimated? It was decimated. It was destroyed. Do you know that over three million Germans were also killed? Now, of course, we're not, oh, two for one, six million, three million. But the reality is six million were. Do you know that the Russian men came and they defiled all these German women? That was the, that was the Russian, <coughs> excuse me, that was the Russian mindset <coughs> to the, <coughs> I'm, pardon me, I'm getting over a, a cold. I think we, we all have to watch out for that. By the way, if you did not get a flu shot yet, get yourselves a flu shot. It is worth the trip to the doctor. It is worth the momentary pinch. Not to have to suffer for days and days of utter agony. And not just that, but by the way, the flu is very, very dangerous. The flu kills tens of thousands of people each and every year. So let me urge you, my listening audience, you make time for all sorts of things. Make time for a flu shot. And they say this year's flu shot is a very good flu shot. Every year they have to they, they have to formulate it by predicting what strain of flu is going to proliferate that year, is going to spread that year. And this year they actually were very accurate. So the flu shot that you get takes care of 90% of the flus that are out there. So it's very, very, very worthwhile. Anyhow... Germany was destroyed. Their women were destroyed. Their buildings and their antiques and their, their, their monuments and their, their old uh, hist- historic sites bombed, destroyed. Again, we don't feel better, but to a certain degree, we say, HaKadosh Baruch take revenge as Nigma's Right? It's interesting. This year I went to Uman Rosh Hashanah and I, and I had a stopover in Germany. So I, I don't like going to Germany. My grandfather was German. My great-great-grandfather built Reb Shamshin of Hirsch's Kihila. And I, I'm connected. You know, I even wear a Yesha, a Tishbekesha, which is not like a chassidish bekesha, it's like a tishbekesha, almost like a smoking jacket is what they call it. I wear that Friday night, so I'm connected. But Germany itself, I have a very, very tough time with Germany and uh, and going there. But I had a stopover, and it was in Germany. So it was Erev Rosh Hashanah, it was a few days before Rosh Hashanah. We said slichas in the German airport, in front of all of the Germans. And then I take out my chauffeur. And everyone looks at me and they say, are you going to blow? You're going to blow the chauffeur in the airport? In Germany? I said, yes, I will. I certainly will. And this one guy is very nervous. Does that Germans? I don't know if you should. I said, are you kidding me? It is my greatest pleasure to blow big, loud tequias. Shvarim Turua. 
Yes, we're in Germany and we're alive. Right? The Shivta Yisrael are alive and we're here. So, 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 <laughs> this fellow who was very nervous as he sees me blowing these, this, the shoifer, and all these Germans turn to look at me, a lot of them with hate in their eyes, and I'm, they're smiling at them smugly. You wanted us dead? You wanted us in a crematorium? I, I apologize for not walking into the gas chamber like you wanted me to. I, uh, I apologize for being a, a fly in your ointment, a nuisance when you wish that I would have disappeared. Guess what? We are here. We're the Am Olam. We are the nation that will be around for eternity. Germany, right? You're pathetic. Right? You try to wipe away all references to the Holocaust. And, uh, oh, they're so good to Israel, reparations. They voted with Israel. Okay, we all love Germany now. I'm sorry. You know, you, you can sell a Mercedes-Benz cheap to Israel, and I will not. And I will not like you, and I will not forgive you. You could do whatever you want, but I know that your, they, your grandparents, your, your, your grandmothers and grandfathers all clapped and cheered while they... Uh, took a razor to my great-grandfather's face in public and shaved off his beard. They clapped and they cheered while my cousins and my brothers and sisters had to scrub the streets of Germany on their hands and knees. Right? Your great-grandparents were silent and quietly enjoying the benefits of the wealth that was uh, German Jewry and Polish Jewry and Czechoslovak France and 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 all the other nations that Germany uh, gobbled up Austria and my my mother-in-law's Austria and her family as well. So that Nikmas it's it's meaningful. So when we ask Hashem, why did you do it, and we stroke our beards, and if we don't have beards, we stroke our chins, and we say, ooh, we're so wise. I guess there's no reason. Stop and think for half a second. for anything. You're going to judge Hashem? Did you ever go hungry a day in your life that there was no food to eat? Do you not have multiple, multiple sets of clothing? Do you not have different... Sets of shoes. You're not living in a shtetl. You're living. You're living my life. You got a telephone. You got a radio. You have a car. You have a computer. You got a on a week they had and a, a human hair shetel, not just one but two, and you got to take it to the shetmacher, and you got these beautiful dresses, and you got weekday and Shabbos and Yontif and Simchas and Shevrachos and 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 you men, I know you go into your tie closet. No, you don't have one tie. You don't have six ties. You may have thirty ties. Plenty, plenty, plenty. So. Let's not start questioning why Hashem does this and why Hashem does that. Aaron understood everything Hashem does is for a great and important reason. So how do we know 
How do we know that reason? Sometimes it takes history. Sometimes it takes time. And sometimes we'll never know. But even when we don't know, we can be sure. Just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu told to Eoiv, HaKadosh Baruch Hu said to Eoiv, after all that he had been through, after all of the suffering, after losing his family and losing his crop and losing his livestock and suffering his own personal bodily yisurim, after all of that, and he wants to know, I'm such a good person, how could this happen to me? And Hashem says, were you there when I created the eagle? Were you there? Did you understand? Did you have input when I created the mountain goat leaping from one mountain to the next? You weren't, and you didn't. So all of a sudden, you wake up thousands of years later and with a question mark, hey, why? You know, a little bit of humbleness, a little bit of hachna'a. And we'll understand that HaKadosh Baruch Hu loves us more than we love ourselves. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu hopes for mankind. But sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to remind us. And sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to punish us. And sometimes we feel it and it hurts and it's difficult. But we take those lessons and we say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I trust you that you have what's best in mind for me. And I will continue. And I've seen people who have suffered immeasurably, immeasurably. We know of a family. It's a horrifically difficult story to comprehend. Mother who, who, who's, who's, who was uh, pregnant, and she gave to a baby who passed away a few minutes later. The agony, the pain. And the father is rushing to the hospital and he has the children in the back seat and he's rushing to be at his wife's side and he gets into an accident and another child is nifter. Who can comprehend this pain? And the mother, she finds out she loses one child and then she loses another. Guess what? That amazing family, this mother helps other people cope. This mother helps other people deal. I myself lost a brother, a very special person. And when my father got up at the Leviah and he had to speak, I know what he was going to say. But the first words, he looks at the audience, he looks at the, the mourners who came, and he says, Hashem no san, Hashem lakach, the name of Hashem is Gebenched HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You know what you're doing better than we know. And therefore, we're going to keep quiet. We're going to keep still. Okay, someone sent us. Uh, let me give you our numbers again if you want to chime in over here. 718-683-5858 in order to call the program. 718-683-5858. You could also text us your message at 347-927-8398, 347-927-8398. Someone writes, I have heard that we should really be saying one soul six million times and not six million 
as if it's just a number. Someone else writes, We're so quick to blame Hashem for things that are bad, but when he, when he what happens when Hashem sends us good things and we didn't even ask? And that happens, Hashem, because Hashem sends us some... We didn't ask for that good thing and Hashem sent it to us anyway. And all this Ava, she appreciate the Ava that HaKadosh Baruch was showing us, but sometimes we don't and we forget it. But when it comes to bad, forget it. We're, we're all over. Why? Why, Hashem? Why? So you know what? Just like you don't ask when HaKadosh Baruch Hu does, does good, quiet, accept, learn, maybe with a cheshben hanefesh, we can figure out what it is that has made our lives that difficult. Okay, we're going to continue after this break. I want to mention that besides Shabbat.com, I have a tzedakah fund called the Israel Children's Fund. You have the ability to give tzedakah. We have families right now uh, who are in desperate need. If you have the opportunity, you can go online, israelchildrensfund.com, and you're able to contribute and the money, 100% of the money, goes to that tzedakah. I also want to mention that the name of this radio station has changed. Uh, not the name of the radio station, but the name of the website. Instead of Hidabrut, it's J-R-O-O-T, J-R-O-O-T, J-R-O-O-T. And therefore, if you want to listen to this program, all you need to do is go to J-R-O-O-T if you have a, uh, a computer. And if not... You have the ability to call on the telephone, listen to this program, and you can even listen to the archived version. And the number to call in to listen to the program on the phone is 718-506-9099. 718-506-9099. And again, to call the program is 718-683-5858. And to text us, it's 347 347- Nine two seven eighty three ninety eight. You are listening to oh, it's jrootradio.com. Let me just correct that. Not jroot.com, but jrootradio. J r o o t r a d i o. Jrootradio. And all you need to do is uh, put that in your computer, and you can listen to the program. You've been listening to Rab Evan Sion Klatsko on nine seven point five. J Root Radio on Radio Hidabrut.
es nicht aufgeben, kein Mut nicht verfuhren. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to Rabbi Ben Sion Klatsko on Radio Hidabrut. Um, we have uh, we have a few um, messages that I think um, maybe maybe are worth covering because uh, because they uh, they pertain to to um, last week. Um, first off, here we have a text message. Somebody writes. Sometimes when Hashem does bad, it's to light up your way for something else good. You didn't, ex- you didn't expect. Example, you're looking for an object and find something else you've been looking for for ages. Hashem made you lose the first object to find a second that has greater value to you. Thank you for the show. So, so that is, um, uh, that's true. That is true. That is definitely true. The reality is that there are many, many, many reasons, uh, an infinite number of reasons that Hashem does what He does. And if we want to understand the Oymekadim and understand on any kind of a level why Hashem does or allows certain things, we have to know that Oymekadim says that anyone will be affected by any event is taken into account when HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes something bad or good happen for somebody. So, for example, if there's somebody who is murdered and there's a tremendous amount of pain, so, of course, to the person themselves who were killed, there's a cheshben. But there's a cheshben for the family as well. 
And for whatever reason, if HaKadosh Baruch Hu would have felt that there's no way to justify that this family should have pain, HaKadosh Baruch Hu wouldn't have allowed it to happen, even if the person themselves would have deserved it. But the Oymek Adin, the depth of the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu works, is that if anyone and not just an immediate family member, but a distant family member. And not just a distant family member, but even a friend, even an acquaintance. If, every, if there's anyone out there who would feel a degree of pain that they would not deserve to feel, HaKadosh Baruch would not have allowed the original person to be killed. By the way, this is a beautiful and important yesod to know. Chazal tell us, Kol sheruach habriyos noichehemenu, ruach hamakam noichehemenu. If people like you, if people have hanah, they feel comfortable around you, so HaKadosh Baruch Hu too will feel comfortable around you. He will have pleasure from you. And that's, that's, that's sort of a, an interesting line. What is that saying? I mean, HaKadosh Baruch likes the popular kid? Is that what it means? I remember in school, there were certain kids who were like the popular kids, and certain teachers who, you know, they just, they were drawn. Maybe when they were kids, they were a little bit uh, outcasts, and their way of feeling good about themselves is when the popular kid likes them. So they like the popular kid. And if you weren't among the cool kids, then, you know, you didn't feel that special from the teacher. So how do we understand if people like you, if you're popular, wow, that's a popular person, I like them also. That's your understanding? So there are many other, other ways to understand differently. But this is one of the ways, such a beautiful idea. Whoever the world likes them, appreciates them, appreciates their company, they have a special Shemira. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, I have to be very careful with this person because if there's anything that this person deserves and they're going to get punished and other people are going to feel pain because that person felt pain, because because that person had a difficult time, then uh, then I'm not going to punish that person. So the more people that like you, the more people are going to be affected greatly if something happens to you. And that's a smear that nothing should happen to you. It's a beautiful, beautiful understanding. Ruach HaMakam Neichem Baruch will have nachas from you, and HaKadosh Baruch will protect you from anything bad happening. So therefore... Keep your friends. Make sure that you're there for people in a way that if you went missing, it would cause a gap. It would create a hole in other people's lives that HaKadosh Baruch would say, I'm not going to allow that hole to exist. Okay. Someone, let me give you our numbers again, then we're going to read some more. To call the program, 718-683-5858. To text, 347-927. 8398-347-927-8398. Somebody writes, Hi, thank you for your show. Regarding last week's talk, so the person wants to know the following. Why 
does a lady become tummy when when needless is a natural thing to happen to a person? Why is that tumma? Why is that tumma? And the next thing the person asks is, why do we? Why is the woman's car all about walking her husband to the the the, the, the majors, to shul and her kids? What about her own car? And then they ask about getting a heter. Why can't? Uh, why didn't anyone tell them that they're not mechuyev to have children? Okay, so there's a lot here. Uh, whoever asked these questions is clearly in uh, a significant amount of pain, and uh, certainly the first thing I would tell you is get a rav, because um, if the, the things like having a hector when it comes to having children and and all of that, uh, these are these are very legitimate questions, but you have to ask and you have to find out why. Regarding last week, we spoke about women's issues and what uh, you know. We we put out there the idea of if something bothers you. So I'm going to answer this quickly, but I I don't want to make this the topic of of the day because there's so much much more that um, uh, that that we have to speak about. But but I'm going to tell you something very very important when it comes to tumma in general. You know, we we speak about some something is tame, something is tahar, and in in English we call that pure and impure. And tame is it has the same feeling as bad and evil and tame and shekets and it's terrible. The truth of the matter is that's not the idea of tame. And that's not the idea of tar. Tar is not good and tummy is bad. It's not, it doesn't work like that. The idea of tummy, if you want to translate it properly, it's not translated as impure. The proper understanding is potential lost. Lost potential. When something has infinite potential, when something has tremendous potential, are called tahar. When something had potential but lost that potential, then they're called tamay. And that's why, for example, when a person passes away, they have the highest level of tuma. Why? Are they bad because they died? No. They're called tamay because they had unlimited potential. They could have done so much good in the world. And now that that good is gone, that potential is lost. And lost potential is tame. Lost potential means tame. And the aviavosa tuma is death. When a woman is ready to ovulate and she's able to have a child, that's great potential. When the lady becomes a nida, then that particular cycle did not end up in life. And therefore, the potential for life in that particular go-around, in that particular cycle, is lost. And therefore, she is tamea, which means her potential is lost. That's tamea and tar, potential and potential lost.
So how does mikvah make you tahar again? So it's very interesting. The only kind of water that you could use is not water that's already gathered. Because water is something that has unlimited potential. With water, you could drink. You can bathe. You can wash your clothing. You could uh, water your crops, and your crops can grow. Water is, is the key to life. Water is all about life. But when you take water and you confine it and you gather it, what you're basically saying is, okay, this is its potential and nothing more. And therefore, water that's gathered cannot be used as a mikvah. It has to either be rainwater, falling straight from the, water to a mikvah, from the rain to the mikvah, because as it's falling, it has unlimited potential, or it has to be flowing water where it continues to have potential. So when a lady becomes a nida, it has nothing to do with impurity. Remember, just because she is Tamei and he can't be with her, she can't be with him. So it affects them the same way. But the potential was lost. And by the way, we know that a man, uh, through his... Uh, uh, through his bodily functions and fluids, can also become tummy. There's also the idea of zera that is lost, potential lost, and that's what tuma is. So don't look at it like the secular world tells you. Oh, it's natural. Why is she tamea? No, there's a, there's a reason. It's potential that's lost. Avram, we have you on the line. Good morning, Avram. Hi. Good morning. I hope uh, it's. I don't know if you mean me. Are you Avram? Yeah. Oh, it looks like... It looks like... Yeah, I'm going to give you the numbers again over here. Uh, if you'd like to call back, you're welcome to. Um, you can call 718-683-5858. 718-683-5858. And you can text us at 347-927-8398. 347 9278398 someone else writes let's see okay so th- this understanding this understanding that when bad things happen to good people doesn't cover children okay so we're going to cover that i think we have avram back on the line good morning is that you Good morning. Shalom Aleichem. Aleichem Shalom. Abraham or Avram? Avram. Avram, okay. We've got Abraham on my screen. I have an answer about this question. Sure. Um, Any time that uh, something uh, uh, that has a kedusha in the body, the little body, is the empty space creates a tumor. Like, for instance, a live person, as soon as the Neshama leaves the person, it creates a tumor because the the chitonim get into it, try to get into the gdusha. Mm. So we have, for instance, we have the case of a woman that a lady gave birth to a to a girl, and the tumor is greater the double than the tumor of a boy. Why? Because the girl is the creator. The woman that that gives she is the creator. She is a partner of Shmuel. She creates. Right. So when this lady gives birth to a girl, 
she created a creator. So she has very, a very good. She has a greater kedusha than a boy, because the boy, he has a, he has also partnership with Hashem to create, but not as much as the lady she carries in her body. So therefore, she's a greater tumor because the kedusha is greater. Beautiful. So as soon as that girl is born, because the greater kedusha leaves the body, the greater tumor that comes in. So the same Beautiful. lady that has a loss of blood, the blood is in the nephesh, Kedamo nephesh. The nephesh has right. Kedusha. As soon as that Kedusha leaves the body, it creates a, a situation that the tumor goes in. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Ram. This is what you're saying. That's a very, very, very good Vart and the Amistad Vart. The reality is that the world, you know, the world in general, makes a living by mocking things. By mocking things. Right? Right? A, a, a great tzaddik, a great guy and a great goddle can get up and speak words of wisdom and inspire us and move us, change and become better people. And if as we're leaving that schmooze, as we're leaving... All of a sudden, someone said, "Oh, that was the most boring thing I ever heard." Or, "Wow, do you, do you, you know that, that you know th- this rov was just showing off at how much he knew, or whatever kind of letzan." All of the effect and all of the change and all of the growth that you had planned will suddenly disappear. So the world likes to trivialize and make things sound silly. Hey. Lady, Jewish, spooky, hocus-pocus, they've got this um, superstition, because in the olden days they didn't understand why people were bleeding, it was, it was scary. Come on, come on, this is the Torah, this is Hashem. This is HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who made Shemayim Va'aretz, and he made the world in a beautiful way, and we could, un- we could be quite sure that HaKadosh Baruch Hu knew what he was doing when he said that there is a Tumantahara. And I'll tell you something else. You know, this is just, you know, with, you know, let's get a little bit into the numbers. I think you'll find this somewhat fascinating. Do you know that couples, when they are going out, and I don't mean Hasidisha couples, but certainly Litvisha couples end up speaking a long time they could speak for hours, hours and hours, and after they're engaged, even even more hours. Talking, talking, connecting, dialogue, finding out who who is he, who is she. It's a very, very big thing within uh, within the dating world, getting to know the person. And then they get married. Now, I'm going to give you a secular statistic. So it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the same way by 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 Eden and by from Eden, but certainly there's a corollary, and the statistic is that that even though people speak many many hours before they're married, sometimes they'll speak throughout the night, they'll talk and they'll probe and they'll figure out. After they get married, the average couple speaks between 45 minutes 
and 72 minutes a week. A week. How are you? Good morning. Okay, good. Who's taking Yankee to, to school? Okay, you take Yankee. Oh, good evening. How are you? Who's coming for Shabbos? Right? Very, very little talking. In the beginning, there was all sorts of talking, and now there's nothing. So that's, that's a big issue. There's, there, there has to be a time to connect. And more than that, a husband and a wife, we know that before you get married, again, this applies more to a Litvisha couple. But, you know, it could apply. You know, before a person gets married, they're excited and they want to be a husband and wife together. They want to be with each other. They want to connect. They're attracted to each other. But then afterwards, you get married. And the idea is to be married for many, 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 many years, the rest of your life. And the beauty and the excitement and the attraction can dull. It can, it can fade. It's just, you know, it's, just, it's not so exciting. You're used to the person's face. And even more than that, you know, that beautiful face that perhaps your husband is used to seeing beforehand, all of a sudden, you know, he, he realizes after you get married that you don't naturally have that face. It takes a lot of work and hours in front of a mirror. And, and that's very tough. And the excitement can go down. And, the, and, and uh, that feeling, that romance, that romance, and, you know, we don't speak about this enough within the, from community, the, the chiv to be romantic, the chiv, you know, that in the Torah, the, the idea of romance is mentioned many, 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 many times by the office of the Imaris. And we could even be sure that even though there's a certainly a ruchniistic component and it has to be understood on a ruchniistic level as well, but certainly we have the words. It says about Yaakov when he was working for Rachel Imane, right? Boyaz and Rus. We know this, this, this affection, this romance, by the very fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaks to Klai Yisrael in terms of Ishvi Isha, tell us that romance is not only legit, but it's a very big part of Yishkait. The thing is, that there are so many ways that the rest of the world expresses it that we don't and can't use. We don't have love songs between a man and a woman. It's, it's, that's, not, that's not a Yiddish Shadarach. We just don't have it. And we don't have dancing men and women together, which is another way of expressing romance. So all we're left with is our gestures and our words. So romance can die, and it's a huge that romance become and remain a big part of a marriage. If you're in a marriage right now, and it's already mitzvah anashim he takes out the trash, 
she washes dishes. He brings home the paycheck, she folds the laundry. He does this, she does that. She teaches, he's in coil, everyone does their job. We could uh, check off all the boxes that we are good people doing good things. Then, 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 then you may be in a loveless marriage or in a marriage that desperately needs a, desperately needs a, a spark. So if that's the case, if that's the case, you have to reignite it. And that's one of the things that Nida does. Those halachas allow us to reignite that spark of romance. I wonder how many from shows have even mentioned these words. The thing is, these words are Kodesh Kadashim. We're not Mavuish. We're doing it in a wonderful, sneeristic way. There's, there's no, we shouldn't cringe from the idea of love and romance. That's, that, that, that's the healthiest thing for our children to see. One of the reasons that kids go off the derech, one of the reasons that kids begin to abuse drugs and so on, is because they don't see a healthy relationship between their parents. And healthy doesn't just mean respectful, but they have to feel the security of knowing that even if mommy doesn't give me what I want, even if Tati is being strict or Abba's being strict, but I still feel protected because I know that they're a unit and I know that they love each other. I remember as a child, clear as day, when my parents used to be affectionate and seeing stick away, but they were affectionate. How, how warm and comfortable and secure and protected it made me feel as a child. And for my parents, it, it, it kept their marriage going. It kindled their marriage, this, this connection to, to each other. Okay, so that's a little bit about Nida. I want to tell you that uh, I live in L.A. Many, many, many women who do not keep any of the mitzvahs still kept Hilchas Nida. Okay. Next person writes, we have all sorts of text messages. I'm going to give you our numbers again. You can call the program at 718-683-5858, 718-683-5858, or text us at 347-927-8398, 347-927-8398. This is Rabbi Vincent Klatsko. We are continuing to read our text messages, our messages to the program. Somebody writes, to add on to the vart that you said, that's the reason to a tzaddik is if he's going, if he's in pain, then he can help you not get punished. Meaning, if you tell a tzaddik your your um, what you're going through, if you tell a tzaddik, oh yeah, yeah, my wife is sick, my kids, this, that, and the tzaddik's cracks and he's oh yeah, yeah, nebuch. And the tzaddik feels pain. And Kaddish Baruch Hu says, I don't want the tzaddik to feel pain. I'm going to take away whatever it is that I put upon this person for the sake of the tzaddik. So that is a beautiful... Thank you for that. Someone writes, I believe that a woman and a man are both fulfilling the will of Hashem. When a woman looks at it from that perspective, it's much more understandable. That's certainly true. All you, need to, all you need to ask yourself is that we don't create the agenda in life. 
the Borei Olam, Borei Olam Bekinyan Hashlem Zabinyan. He created a building. He created a relationship. Ishvi Isha Shalom Beinayim Shchina Beinayim. We have to have peace. We have to have purpose. I just gave a talk yesterday in Queens, and in it we spoke about the nine, uh, the nine ways to keep your relationship honest and loving. And one of the things that I said, like I think it was rule number seven, was when it comes to relationships, be open to your house, what your ruchniyistika challenges are. We all have challenges. We all have challenges. You know, what are your challenges? And, you know, I'm not saying your, your past flaws. I am not an advocate of somebody spilling the beans and saying every last thing they did wrong since the day they were born. I don't think that's the ruts in Hashem. As a matter of fact, we're not supposed to confess our Averis to any other person. But, but there's no question that when we are struggling with whatever it is, whether it's going to a minion, or whether it's uh, listening to Gaisha music, or whether it is being lazy, or whatever it happens to be, let your spouse know what your struggle is. Because if you don't, what can end up happening is that you're, uh, that because you want your spouse to think so highly of you, then you hide your flaws. You hide it, and you sneak around, and you do things that you're not proud of. And the worst part about it is that the honesty leaves your marriage, and you want to keep honesty in your marriage. So tell each other what your struggles are. And then if you're the spouse who are being told, who's being told what the struggle is, be happy that you have a spouse who's open enough to say, to confide in you. And don't try to right away, <coughs> excuse me, don't try to fix the problem right away. Oh, here's what you should do. You're struggling with this, do that. No, just be a sounding board. Just listen. Let your spouse know you're there for them. Very, very critical, Right? There'll be time to try to work on those things, but right away the first thing you have to do is, is accept that your husband or your wife is struggling. They want to grow. That's a beautiful thing when somebody wants to grow. And, and take it from there. You each have a very, very important role in your life and in your marriage. Someone else writes, Hashem made... A person, a man, Hashem made a man, a man, and a woman, a woman. If they try, try to switch roles, they're not doing what Hashem wants them to do. Okay, good. Next person writes, My principal in high school used to say that it's good to have a lot of friends so that on Rosh Hashanah, when Hashem judges, He judges carefully and uh, an afterthought to what you, uh, uh, you Rabbi Klatsko said before. Okay, good. That that is true. Lots of friends, and I don't mean, you know, a popularity contest, but exactly what you're saying. A lot of friends is a great shmira. Make sure they're good friends, though. Another person writes, Also, I heard a story that a tzaddik was asked, 
why he lived so long. He answered that Hashem told him, and if he wants to understand, come up, and he will explain. So the tzaddik said he'll wait until life is over, and he didn't want to die young. So he didn't have to question, have a questions on Hashem. Okay, so that is a beautiful answer. You want to know? There is a next world to know why Hashem does what he does. And if you want to jump the gun, the only way to do that is to forfeit one's life. So I think everyone over here would rather wait and understand that us and Lava we're going to know why Hashem did and does what he does. Next person writes, Hi, good morning. Why do men have more mitzvahs than women, than ladies? That's what the person writes. Why do they have more mitzvahs? Well, simple answer, they don't have children to look after. A more complicated answer, because men need more mitzvahs. They need more mitzvahs because they're on a lower ruchnistic level. Third, third answer, since it is the derech for a man to be out there up front, the av habayis, the, 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 the bal habayis, so a lot of those mitzvahs fall on him. So there's lots of reasons why. But that, that does not mean that men uh, or women are on any greater or lesser level just based purely on the mitzvahs. If anything, if mitzvahs are a tikkun, then the fact that, they, that women don't need as many mitzvahs would mean that they don't need as great a tikkun. So that's uh, certainly a legitimate way of looking at it. Next person writes, let's say the couple is not in need of, for whatever reason, nursing and so on. How can we get the spark then? Great question. Great question. How do you get the spark? Of course, a neither situation creates an amazing, amazing spark, like we mentioned before. Uh, the very fact that you can't touch each other, the very fact that you have to communicate, because couples who are married often don't communicate, the very fact that you're still living in the same room and you're in beds next to each other. And, you know, what a person can't have, that's what a person wants. Like the Gemara says, uh, brings down the Pasuk, right? Stolen waters are sweet, what you can't have, you genuinely want. And the person, the husband, the wife, they're in the same room, they can't have each other. So we understand how neither creates an amazing spark and keeps marriages going but what about a wife who's nursing? And of course, when a wife nurses, very often uh, she does not become an eater. So how do you keep this spark alive in such a marriage? The Isn't that funny how that happened? I said, the answer is, and, um, and I lost the connection. So 
We're trying to tell you how to bring a great spark to your marriage, and on comes Hasidic music. <laughs> I don't know if that's the answer, although nice music. But um, how does one keep a spark going in a marriage? And here's here's the answer. The answer is that a spark is not only a physical manifestation of one's love, right? There is, there is a physicality that's part of a husband and wife relationship, and that's important, and that is a spark. But it's not only spark. So if you want to keep this spark still alive, I would say the following. If you are a husband and you want to keep the spark alive, be helpful. Be there for your wife. There is nothing more attractive than a husband who's there for his wife. There's nothing that makes it feel better than to know that she has a lifelong partner. It's the greatest, most attractive thing. Women want security. And if you're not there for the person, if you say, look, the spark is dying, they're only putting in 50%, I'll only put in 50%, you're making a great mistake. It's one of my rules from last night in my talk. I said that even when your spouse has stopped putting in 100%, you should continue to put in 100%. Continue. Don't let up. It's not a tit-for-tat. It's not, okay, you're putting in 35%, I'll put in 35%. You put in 70%, I'll put in 70%. No. There are times when, you know, your spouse is going through something and they, they, they're they a little, little more focused inwardly. And, you know, it happens. You know, they're a little, little self-absorbed. Maybe they lost their job. Maybe they just got a big promotion. Maybe who knows what. Maybe their bodies are going something that, are, that they're trying to handle. And they're not giving the relationship 100%. So, so um, that, that, that's just a very, very important, uh, important to know that you should continue to put 100%. And I would tell you, if you're really smart, you'll put in 110%. And the reason you'll put in 110% is because it'll become so clear that you are keeping up your end of the bargain, even when he or she is not, that they will shape up much quicker than if you nag them and you kvetch and so on. And, and, uh, and that, that'll just spiral downward. Instead, you know, your husband's not being so attentive. Be extra attentive. Your wife is not uh, responding to your overtures. Make stronger overtures. Be more romantic. So as far as the husband being attractive to the wife, be there for her. Be helpful to her. That is what was, that's what's going to help you reignite the spark. And for the wife, what happens to the spark? Especially men are much more physical. And what if that spark uh, is, is not the same? It's not right after Nida, and, um, you know, you're accessible day and night. So there are ways of, of creating sort of like an artificial Nida cycle 
which will allow that spark to remain. But the other thing is that you have to give time for action, right? You know, they, they, you have to let it grow. It's like a, uh, it, it is a uh, process each evening, each time that you're together, there's a process. And if every time you, I'm speaking to the women here, if every time you speak to your man, it's about a chore, now we got to do this. Who's taking kids to that? Who paid the bills? Now we got to do this. Now we got to do that. And if it's always sort of this goal-oriented, commercial, corporation kind of discussion, right, between the husband and wife, Okay, did you take the car in? Take the car in, okay. And, and if, if, if that's all your husbands expect the conversation to be about, and you don't speak about anything else, but you're just a corporation, a commercial entity, it's a huge turnoff, and the spark is going to die. You know what you have to speak about? Can I tell you, listen carefully, this is worth it for the whole show. The whole show is worth it. We got 10 minutes left to the show. If you made it this far, it was worth it for what I'm about to say. You want to keep the spark alive? Dream. Dream. You got to be dreamers together. It was the last rule that I said in my last night's talk at Chazak. Be a dreamer. Be a dreamer. Discuss your dreams together. Discuss growing old together. Discuss changing the world together. Be a dreamer. Dream. Dis- discuss lofty ideas and sweet nothings. You know, the Gemara says that a person who doesn't dream, doesn't have a dream in seven days, it means Karash Baruch has left them. Karash Baruch has abandoned them. If a person dream in seven, so Pashup Shah if a person goes to sleep and doesn't dream, then that's a problem. But I'll be Jewish, it's my own Jewish, that if a person goes by seven days and doesn't dream, if a person goes by seven days and doesn't have a dream and doesn't discuss with their, their, their dream, so then HaKadosh Baruch is going to leave that union. You're a corporation. You're just a machine. Dream together. Fly together. Speak speak things that are not day-to-day chores and tasks and to-do lists. Dream together. Dream what it's like when you're going to marry off your last child. Dream. And that is romantic. And that's a spark. You have to dream together. Okay, we have a question. Someone writes, My husband is a super father and husband, Baruch Hashem. He works very hard. Life got really hectic, Baruch Hashem. And at the same time, his chavrus has got a different schedule. For the past month and a half or so, he hasn't been going to learn. I tried a casual mention of it, but I didn't want to be a pest, just as nobody tells me. About my ruchness, is it my place to do anything? I really respect and think of him. I don't want to ruin anything. Please answer on the air. 
Okay, so this is this is a a very very important question because learning is is a is a huge part. I it, it's funny that I'm answering this because my my own schedule has me flying all over the world giving shiurim, and I personally have had a very difficult time making a set chivrusa. But I say from experience and having learned in koil for many years that as a wife, you could certainly let your husband know how much you love and respect the fact that he is a Ben Torah and that he learns. And you can't be worried to say something if, if it's going to help. Now, you're not his mashkiach, and uh, it will backfire if you act like his mashkiach. But he can know that in your heart, not from a sense of obligation, well, I feel that he has an obligation, and since he's not living up to his obligation, I am there waiting in the wings for him to answer. No, you could just speak as a wife, as somebody who admires her husband, and say, you know what, honey, I really admire you. I, you're such an amazing husband. You're a great father. And say those words exactly what you told me. And I know that so many women out there are struggling to find their shidduch. And Baruch Hashem, I found mine. And he's a great husband, he's a great father. And I, I want to be makar toiv to you. And I want to show our toiv to Akarish Baruch for giving me you. And, and, and use those words. And then after that lengthy akdama, make it lengthy. Don't make it a one-liner. Because when you're dealing with a man, you're dealing with an ego. Right? Men are their ego, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's how Kadesh Baruch Hu made us. You know, we, we are, uh, you know, men in the workplace is all about respect. And when a man buys a suit, it's to get the respect from his peers. There's an ego. A man wants to feel I'm doing it right. I've got my act uh, well under control. I know what I'm doing. So if you just come down and, hey, you know, it's been already a month and a half. Where's your chavrusa? That he's not going to respond well because he's not going to hear, hey, it's been a month and a half. Where's your chavrusa? That's not what he's going to hear. Can I tell you what he's going to hear? He's going to hear these words. He's going to hear you say, you know what? You're not as big a tzaddik as it used to be, and I don't respect you as much. And it's gotten to the point that me, a lady who's not even mechuyiv to learn Torah, has to remind you what it's all about. And, and, uh, and he's going to hear a criticism of his manhood, of his uh, ability to be a good Jewish father and a good Jewish husband. He's going to hear a tremendous criticism. That's what men hear. And therefore, if you're going to say that, you know, to encourage him, what you could even do is, and, and again, this is, this is a little more on the sly, but if you know of a neighbor or somebody who is looking for a chavrusa, or you could ask them, you could always say, uh, you could always go over to them and say, look, you know, I know my husband's looking for a chavrusa, are you looking for a chivrusa? Can I mention that to my husband? You know, I think you two would learn great together. And then 
you can go to your husband and say, you know, I heard our neighbor's looking for a kavrusa. You may want to speak with him because, you know, and, and you could do it sort of quietly behind the scenes. But if you, if you uh, come right out there in the open and say, hey, why aren't you learning? Hey, you know, and, and this person's a good husband and he's a good father, and he just hears you just come and criticize him, he's not going to hear, hey, it's time to get another chavrusa. He's going to hear, hey, you're not a ben Torah. Hey, you're not a good husband. You're not a good Jewish father. You're not a good Jewish role model. That's, that's what he's going to hear. And therefore, you've got to be very, very careful how you say it. But I would say something. But speak from yourself. You know, you really love the fact that he goes out to Chavrusa. It means so much to you. You're so proud of him, and you hope he's going to find one soon because you yourself get such a wonderful chius. You yourself feel that your life has more purpose. Okay, so the next person writes. Let's see what we have over here. Next person writes. My husband hates dreaming and talking what to do. I do differently to get him. Uh, uh, what do I do differently to get him involved? Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if people hate dreaming. Just he may hate your dreams. I mean, he may, you know, what you consider a dream, uh, he may uh, not consider, uh, you know, that may not be his dream. You know, when I speak about dream dreaming, I'm speaking about dreaming together. Your, 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 your wishes... Right before the program is about to end, you know, we're speaking about dreaming, and then we lose our connection one more time. This is the great Nisayan of doing a, a program from home. But I finish with this last person's comment. Someone writes, Rabbi Klatsko, if we start dreaming too much, we're going to be like Yosef HaTzadik, who got himself into trouble. He had dreams about being the sun, moon, stars bowing down to him. So I tell you, number one, Yosef HaTzadik was called a tzadik because he was a tzadik. Number two, he didn't want to have those dreams. Those were nevuah. And number three, when I speak about dreams, I'm not talking about chalimus. No, 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 no. I'm talking about your vision for how, what you're going to build in your house, your vision. And I'll, I'll finish with the last question, and I'm not going to answer it now. I'll answer it next week. Someone, actually, uh, someone writes, please clarify exactly what does dreaming have to do with building and strengthening shalom bias. I'm very curious Okay, actually, I will answer that because I will not be doing a live. Well, I may be doing a live show next week. Um, very quickly, you know what it has to do? Because 
Shalom bias is not clinical. Shalom bias is you're building a bias with Shechina. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu says that everything about life is about dreaming and hoping and wishing and expecting and believing that we can make the world better, we can make our lives better, and we can bring up better children. And that's the great dream, and that's Shalom Bias. Okay, this has been a pleasure speaking to you. My name is Rabbi Vincent Klatsko. Have an amazing week. Have amazing Shalom Bias, and I look forward to speaking with you next week. You've been listening to 97.5, jrootradio.com. J Root Radio. The preferred radio station for the Jewish home.